Well, the Rural Independent Group got its long-awaited debate on immigration today using its own private member's time. It was at times heated, at times personal. Of course, our debate tonight is not going to be like that because all the panellists tonight are aware that the studio doesn't enjoy the same privileges at the oil chamber, so we're going to steer clear of labels and accusations and stick to the realms of differences of policy and scrutiny of facts. Uh, Sarah, to you first. What were the main points of the motion as they were discussed in the Dáil today. In yeah. clear, dispassionate terms, please. <laughs> yeah. So um, the Rural Independent Group put forward a motion um, calling on the government to change what it says is a reckless immigration policy. It was looking for an immediate cap on um, is on asylum seekers coming into the country, as well as stricter migration legislation. The motion also noted um, that other European countries had tightened their immigration laws and that Ireland's laws were, um, Ireland's immigration laws were more attractive and as a result was, um, it was, they, they, they deemed it asylum tourism was happening here. Uh, so there was quite heated exchanges in the chamber this morning between the rural independents and a number of TDs, including Deputy O'Rudon, who is sitting right beside me, and People Before Profits, Paul Murphy. Um, I think what was lost a bit or might have been overlooked was um, Sinn Féin actually setting out their own policies on migration and immigration, mm-hmm. which they have been quieter, I suppose, compared to some of the other opposition parties. And their justice spokesman, Pa Daly, spoke about um, they didn't believe in an open border policy and that states should manage migration while also acknowledging, um, you know, the role migrants play here in Ireland in terms of staffing our health service and nursing homes and things like that. Okay. Um, well, let's get a flavour of some of the debate uh, that we had earlier on this evening. You mentioned Sinn Féin. Uh, let's hear from Pauline Tully, uh, who spoke in the debate there earlier. And much misinformation has been spread and there has been little done to counter this by the government. We hear constantly about unfettered immigrants, yet the fact is that on arrival asylum seekers are interviewed by an immigration officer, they are registered at the International Protection Office, they are fingerprinted, they are photographed, they are checked to see if they have established to establish if they've applied for asylum elsewhere or have criminal records. And this system, however, it's not robust enough. It needs to be resourced properly. Decisions on asylum applications need to be quicker and deportations, when that is the outcome, must be overseen and carried out in a timely manner. Sinn Féin believes Ireland, like every other country, must have control over its borders and must have a fair, efficient and enforced immigration system, a system with well-functioning rules and regulations that everyone understands and serves the interests of the Irish people. And let's hear from the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, who also spoke. In this House, we must be honest about immigration. We need to acknowledge its overwhelming benefits to us as a nation, as well as, yes, the challenges that it presents. We must recognise the concerns that exist around housing, around accommodation services and work together to proactively address these challenges. In Ireland right now, 20% of those working age were born outside of the country. Without all of the essential workers who have come to Ireland from overseas, buses would not run, patients in hospital and care homes would be without nurses, doctors and care workers to care for them, shops would struggle to open, the tech sector would shrink, tourist services would fail, the economy would contract, our tax receipts would be decimated, public spending would have to be slashed and unemployment would rise. We also have to be honest about the demographic challenges this country faces. Census 2022 shows a 26% increase among the over 70s in the last six years. We have an ageing population, which means that the proportion of working age people is shrinking. If we don't have enough workers 
Who will keep the economy going, staff our hospitals, pay the taxes needed to fund public services for older and vulnerable persons? Inward migration is absolutely key to plugging this gap. And that was Helen McEntee. Now, the motion was introduced by the Rural Independent Group. Let's hear from Carol Nolan, who spoke first from the group. But one thing we know for certain is that Ireland's policy of voluntary return is being absurdly abused. And that's a fact. In fact, I know from parliamentary replies to questions that I have submitted that the overall percentage of deportation orders that were affirmed are actually carried out between 2018 and May 2023 of this year was just over 11%. This means, in real terms, that just 282, 11.5%, of the 2,442 deportation orders issued were actually carried out. I also know from replies that I've received that the total cost of accommodating international protection or asylum applicants will increase by at least 500 million this year. In fact, the total cost for people in the IPAS accommodation between the start from the start of 2016 and 2022 is now in excess of 1 billion euro. No state with a responsible policy towards expenditure can ignore such costs. They must form part of a debate around sustainability and the impact of such costs on other areas of public expenditure. That is being responsible and not reckless. And that was Carl Nolan, Leash Offley TD from the Rural Independent Group. Sarah, the government had a counter motion. What was in it? How did it get on? Yeah, so the counter motion kind of echoes a bit what um, the Justice Minister was saying there in the clip. So it laid out that Ireland needs migration to support the economy and society. It noted how many Irish people had emigrated in the past for safety or for work. And the motion also urged members of the Oireachtas to refrain from supporting or encouraging those who spread racist, xenophobic or sectarian disinformation of any kind. All right. Um, Michael Collins, you're from the Rural Independent Group. You, It was uh, your group's motion that was uh, put in front of the Dáil today. And one of the recurring themes was that on this issue of single, unvetted males, which has come up throughout the immigration debate in so, on, uh, in so, in so far as there has been a, a debate to date. But there are a number of procedures when people arrive in the country, they're photographed, they're fingerprinted, they're subjected to an initial interview. There's a follow-up interview. The photographs and fingerprints are checked against a Eurodac database. So if that's not vetting, what kind of vetting would your group be looking for? Well, first of all, we're delighted to get an opportunity today to uh, discuss the, the immigration issues into this country. The problem we have uh, is that uh, Deputy Matthew McGrath, who's the leader of the independent, uh, the rural independent group, has been trying through the business committee to get a debate, a, a, a normal, um, civilised debate. Unfortunately, it wasn't very civilised in many uh, areas today. But look, there was a debate. We... We live in a democracy, so people. Not, we don't all all have to agree on an issue, but certainly we should be able to air our opinions as long as it doesn't hurt uh, and and doesn't affect other people as such. Tens of thousands of people are are extremely worried and want to debate on this issue. Uh, many feel the majority, seventy percent, in a recent Red Sea poll, have said that they feel Ireland has taken enough immigrants into this country. That's the way the public feel. I think it's even more than that right now. It's even gone to higher than that. It's not because Irish, 70% of Irish people are racist. By no manner of means is that, a, is that the case. But it just feels, we've done our part. 
And we played a very, very important role. And some people have been opened up their homes to that and have been delighted to do that. But they are, there is concern, sir. And the serious concerns is some people, you know, come, uh, people are coming, asylum seekers come into this country, come into communities, and people don't know about it. It's been very badly handled. And I think that was the point, of, maybe part of the point today that we sure. discussed that, that at least communities, it would be discussed with communities before people come in so that people are relaxed. And I've had to do that myself in West Cork, uh, where there was no information, people are very angered, and we were able to calm the angers once we got the information but it was so so hard to get information but just on, on the issue I suppose one of the things that was pointed to by a number of members of the group today was this issue of single unvetted males and I suppose in the in this country unless you want to do certain government jobs unless you want to work with children everyone is unvetted tech workers who come from abroad are unvetted tourists are unvetted so why the particular concern over this cohort of asylum seekers and what kind of vetting are you looking for over and above the current asylum system? Well, I think any, um, what a lot of the concerns that the people speak to me about is that they'd like to know that the people coming to the country are fully documented. That, I think, is a very fair uh, ask. If I go anywhere tomorrow morning, I'm, I'm fully, if I go to America, everybody will see my passport. They'll have my information, whether I'm uh, legitimate and I should be allowed into the country or not, or anywhere else, for that matter. I think that's what people want to know, that there is safeguards in place, just in case. You know, it might only be two out of every 500, but two people out of 500 could cause a lot of problems to a community. And people feel, as well as that, you see, there is a concern that there's, a, a, you know, into, especially into rural communities where there's 40 or 50 people coming in to a community where there's no facilities whatsoever. And people are concerned, how are people going to integrate? It's fine to say, it's bring as many as you can and bring in more people and bring in more people. But it has to stop somewhere. Sure, and I suppose it's slow the, the flow. Before I go slow to the, rest the flow of the is, is what uh, the Taoiseach said, and, and the slow the flow should have maybe started last year. But the, but the particular point year. of concern was people seeking international protection. Now, there is 26,000 of those people currently in the system. There are 76,000 Ukrainians. So, on on, on I suppose on the issue of sheer numbers, there are more Ukrainians than people seeking international protection. Why did your motion today focus not on Ukrainians, but on the lesser number of international protection? Well, I think in fairness, with my speech, I try to move away from naming any country as such. Because there is genuine people that need to come. And, and I've supported some people coming here to this country. But as I said, as far as the people of this country is concerned, we've done a huge amount, far more than many more countries. And some people seem to be using the Irish system that the Irish are giving the most and they want to come here ahead of other countries. So they fly out beyond other countries that are allowing them to go into their countries and won't go there, but end up in Ireland. So I'm only just saying that that was our motion. And so you got a bit out right. of hand today and I just felt there was no need for that. I think we could have kept okay. uh, cool and people respect each other, whether they agree with each other or not. That's, that's unfortunate. That didn't happen today. All right. Uh, Marco Kosig, the, the issue of the number of deportations, the issue of people, uh, the number of people arriving without uh, documentation and also the offering that has been offered by Ireland are, are things that have come up again and again. But there seems to be an implicit acknowledgement of that by your party colleague, Roderick O'Gorman, who's talking about ending accommodation for people coming from Ukraine after three months and they're having to seek their own accommodation due to the strains that are on accommodation currently. Yeah, now I think we have to be very careful to differentiate between people who are arriving here under temporary protection directive, so that would be Ukrainian people, and people who are coming seeking asylum, uh, which is that 26,000 that you referred to. And 
I fear, so you, I mean, what you were referring to there is, is the temporary protection directive and the offering. That's there for Ukrainian people, whereas what we were actually discussing today in the Dole was around international protection, so asylum seekers. Um, I have to say, we, we've had a direct provision centre in Tremor, two of them for some 20 years, and I was a school teacher in Tremor for many of those years. And so these aren't faceless people to me. I, c I can name you the kids. Uh, and I can name you the kids who are now playing in Tremor GAA. Um, one of the kids that I taught was serving us coffee at the recent thinking in Tremor. I was talking to her. She's travelling down to Cork now to do her nursing degree. Outstanding children. And I can't, I can't divorce that personal knowledge of humans, of human people who are coming here in dire need, very often in dire need from dire circumstances. I can't divorce that from what our response as a government and as a nation should be and the responsibilities that we have to provide safe haven for these people. Very often leaving, I mean, some of the most difficult of circumstances. And we're talking about, we're talking about documentation. OK, there is a certain cohort, there's a certain number who we know, you know, we, we, we've heard this business of people destroying documentation at airports. If I was a Syrian refugee, was I likely to have it packed? If I'm exiting Sudan, Somalia at the moment, or any of the conflicts that are happening in sub-Saharan Africa. Sure, but people have to have some form of documentation to say board a plane in Paris. And look, and I, th I think it's a wildly overstated issue. One of the things that I do, I like strongly feel about because, again, going back to those teaching days, I knew children who were seven and eight and still in a direct provision centre. And we absolutely need to invest in the processing. You know, if somebody arrives to our country and is seeking asylum, if they deserve to stay here, if they deserve that status, that should be granted as quickly as humanly possible to allow them to get on with their lives. And if they have no just cause to be here, and, and Minister McEntee did re reference this, how actually people, particularly people who are arriving in from designated safe countries, the processing time has dropped like a stone. We're making decisions on those. Right. And if they're not here with good reason, then they're asked to leave. Aon O'Riordan, the, um, the issue, I suppose, there, there are two broad issues. The integrity of the system, mm. namely, you know, how quickly it deals with people uh, and also then the issue of, of consultation with communities or giving greater access to people in local communities. They're two reasonably solvable issues that could be done in short order. Do you think those inefficiencies and the lack of communication have contributed to the problem? Well, I, I've been critical <clears throat> of government in the last 12 days or so since the riots, actually, that we haven't had a proper information flow from government about sort of, you know, myth-busting, if you like, of, of, of arming communities and, uh, and people in, so, in, in society um, <clears throat> with the facts and figures about how the process works to, you know, challenge these sort of uh, mantras about unvetted uh, you know, um, war age men or whatever the phrase uh, is used uh, so that these sort of myths and fears and suspicions don't grow. My issue with today's debate uh, is that there has been a concerted effort by a certain political cohort in, in Leinster House and in the Shannon and, and around Ireland of spreading fear uh, about the outsider mm -hmm. and making a connection between the outsider 
the migrants, the asylum seeker and criminality. It's here in the motion, actually. It says uh, communities nationwide voice escalating social concerns about safety. There's a number of quotes here I have from one member of the Rural Independence linking criminality uh, with immigration over the last month, saying people are scared alive, uh, that elderly people and children and women are scared alive. We've, sure, I mean, but that, deputy, that, that's one, that, that's no, one well, aspect. See, the, the problem here is that it's, it's very difficult with the greatest will in the world to go through a consultation process uh, with a community about a potential, uh, you know, relocation of asylum seekers or international protection applicants into an area when all this rhetoric is happening unchallenged all the time. And there has been a poisonous attempt uh, to link immigration with criminality. And what we were determined to do today uh, was to not let the rural independence away with that. Um, Michael Collins, the the issue of... uh, the uh, the motion mentions a number of countries, uh, n- namely Algeria, Georgia, uh, and Zimbabwe, and it says that uh, there are no wars in those countries, so there are, is no reason to grant asylum to people arriving effectively fr- from those countries. Now there is an issue called subsidiary protection, where even if you come from what's designated as a safe country, you can be granted subsidiary protection if you belong to a minority that cannot be protected in that country or is specifically targeted in that country. So why would your motion raise this issue of why are these people coming here when the issue of subsidiary protection exists and exists in law and that the Rural Independent Group have the research workers to find out about? Well, I I think the basis of our uh, motion, being very honest, is that we feel that Ireland has taken its fair share. So you have to look at some people that do still need uh, to, to be allowed into our country uh, because they are in a, in a war-torn country and they may need serious help. But in more countries like Georgia and others, they are relatively safe and these people are still adding to the system that's out there already. So I think personally, and this is the, this is the, the reason for the motion, is, and that was why there should be debate. We, we're not going to win every but Would you accept, Pete, there aren't people, like, so for example, uh, Amnesty International's most recent report about Algeria talks about three lawyers being prosecuted for defending political activists, 37 femicides, authorities continuing to arrest and prosecute people who express dissent online. Zimbabwe, another one mentioned, members and supporters of the main opposition party violently attacked at political rallies, leading to at least two deaths. Georgia, freedom of expression further restricted. The areas of Abkhazia and South Ossetia, which uh, are are breakaway republics with the support of Russia, widespread repression of human rights. On a case-by-case basis, couldn't people from those countries successfully apply for asylum here through the system that there is? Well, to be quite honest with you, we could probably name another eight or ten of those countries around the world as well if we wanted to. Well, where are we going to stop as a nation? We have absolutely done fantastically uh, in relation to bringing people in here and, and, and catering for their needs as best we can, to the point now we're unable to cater for their needs. They're living inside under tents at this stage. It looks to me as if the country, and I've said it several times, this country is quite happy to bring them in under sleet, metal or plastic tints. Imagine tints. That's no way to bring treat people that you want to come into this country. Treat them with the respect we can. Keep our numbers as modest as we can so we can look after those who come in and look after them properly and not throw them into this a This is a question for me, Colin, of um, are we applying this reasoning to everybody? Does Michael want to stop tech workers coming in? Does he want nurses to stop coming in? Is he talking about British people, Spanish people? He doesn't want to come in. Should we shut down free travel within Europe? Or is he talking about one type of people? 
Well, none, and that's the question. None that of I the asked. cohorts of workers you're talking about, uh, with respect, Marco Kosick, are depending on the state to provide them with accommodation. They come here with means and have to pay for extremely expensive accommodation. The resources of the state are limited and your own colleague in government has said they're limited and the government is trying to discourage people to come to the country because of the pressure on resources. Yeah, but I do want to return to that point because, you know, like, we get this discourse of, oh, we can't be providing for more people. We've, we've done our bit. We've taken our fair share. I don't agree with that. I think we're a wealthy country. Um, many of the people, so the Ukrainian people who arrived, have, have arrived, most of them are at work, contributing to our society. Uh, you know, half of, half of, the, town, half of the hotels and, and whatever up and down the country are now being staffed by people who have arrived in. Similarly, people, once they have the right, once they're here long enough within the IP system, and are allowed to work, and that's been short after, six months. After six months, yeah. A lot of them are contributing. Yes, absolutely. There's co- challenges around accommodation. That okay. applies to new a- new arrivals and people who've been here for a, a- long a- time. Ian O'Riordan, yeah. we have full employment in an economy. In, in At times like this, there uh, is, is pressure to find people to fill certain jobs. Mm-hmm. If, the effic- if the system of processing asylum claims is not efficient, there's every risk that people could be trafficked here for low-cost employment I, to look, be exploited I, I in the labour market. I completely agree. And look, I was a minister in this space for quite a while. I actually visited the, the direct provision centres in Tremor and the big issue then at that time was the length of time in, mm-hmm. the, in the system, 10 years plus children li- being brought up in direct provision centres, etc. So we've never had difficulty with the process being made better. But... The, the motivation behind the rural independence motion and, and Deputy Collins is suggesting it's all about resources, it's not. Because, again, what they're trying to do is to make people suspicious of the outside. Well, can we, we, oh, hold on, no, I have to make this point. And Deputy Collins himself has said in September 2019, we're losing our culture. So this is the issue here. This is where it's coming from. It's, okay. not, about right, well, ba- just it's not about basic okay, economics you've, you've or, or resources. Point. M- Michael it's Collins, about a suspicion mm-hmm. and a suggestion that we're losing our culture. Right. M- Michael Collins, do you recall making that remark? Well, and what did you mean? I'm by delighted it? Deputy O'Riordan is, is, uh, is researching all of my speeches. He must have a good researcher wherever uh, that person is coming from. But um, you Just uh, type in your name and immigration and it comes up. researching you. Don't worry about it. Um, but Google. what I'm saying is that, uh, you know... We, I'm I, first and foremost. If I go into another person's country, I am delighted to respect uh, their religion, their beliefs, ah, or whatever they want. No, well, let him finish. No, let, let, let him finish without I'm interruption. Quite, I didn't interrupt you, and uh, I don't see any reason why people wouldn't respect our cultures. Surely, be to God, we should be to Sorry, I didn't interrupt you when you were speaking. You were very good at interrupting today. Quite like yourself, but what I'm saying is that we didn't. Just stop interrupting. Just let him finish. What I'm trying to say is that we need people to respect our cultures. I don't think there should be any reasonable, any reasonable doubt. Uh, in anyone's mind that uh, people who come into this country would respect our culture right. the and same as I'd respect their culture. Sure, I mean, are we losing our culture? And we cannot t- go beyond the discussion of the resources of the state. First no, of all, are, we are we no losing, longer... We hit, no, sorry, just, are we losing I, our culture? Just on that question. Where is the evidence of the wider impact of any disrespect for, for culture of people arriving here, as, as we see this, there's 26,000 people seeking asylum, there are five and a half million people in the country 
What's yeah. the impact been in terms of the culture of the country? Genuinely, a, a lot of people, so many people have come to this country and come to local towns and villages. And uh, in fairness, they've been made welcome in my own community, including myself, and I'm quite happy to do that. But I believe that they should uh, enjoy and be made welcome, yes, but they should learn our culture. And there shouldn't be anyone disagreeing with that. The same as if I went to their country, I'd be delighted to learn their culture and respect them. And that's what we should all be doing. And that's not, uh, this is what my, our concern is. That. And I feel there that our motion had certain uh, areas of, of serious well, discussion that needed today, but on, we didn't get to that, unfortunately, because people were more playing our argument, of, argument of, but the bottom line There's is people are staying in tents. There is no room in this okay. country anymore for people. Marco, because you, you wanted to come in on that. Just there's an insinuation in what Michael said. You know, that mm-hmm. the insinuation is people are coming here and not respecting our culture. Now, I can tell you quite seriously, I've lived abroad in a number of places. Do you know where I went to when I was going for a drink? went down to the Irish pub. Used to hang around with a bunch of expats. Used to go around speaking my own language, you know. Did, of course, mix with the Italians, mix with the Germans, mix with the various people in the various places I lived. But there is an insinuation in what Michael has said, Mm -hmm. that the people who are coming here are undermining our culture. And I find that extremely problematic. Sarah, there was a um, further business of this today uh, in the in the media committee. There was a discussion of disinformation. The big tech platforms uh, were in bar one. Yes. um, So Twitter or X, as it's known as now, wasn't um, at the committee today. And that drew a lot of criticism. Representatives from X said that they couldn't attend the committee due to ongoing legal proceedings. They said they were happy to attend in private session or provide um, answers in writing. A number of TDs uh, said this wasn't acceptable. Um, I know Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster uh, was seeking information regards what exactly these ongoing legal proceedings were. Um, But a lot of focus went on the riots that we saw a number of weeks ago and the kind of uh, disinformation and false claims that were spread um, on social media platforms. TikTok in particular said that they had removed or taken down 25 false claims the day of the rioting and one of the claims in particular was about how the army had been deployed to the city centre which of course wasn't true. All right. Uh, the, the, there was some disquiet ex- expressed about the uh, the company X not coming in and they gave legal proceedings as, as their reason behind it. Do we have any idea what those are? No, we have no um, indication as to what exactly these legal proceedings were. Um, but as I was saying there, Imelda Munster was seeking information about what they were and I think the committee are going to write to them and ask what exactly that was. All right. Eona Reardon, this, uh, the the uh, platform X mm has withdrawn from the voluntary code of conduct. It's paddling its own canoe. It's hardly surprising they didn't show up at the committee today, is it? No, it's particularly dis- uh, disturbing. I think of all the social media platforms, I think uh, X or Twitter, <clears throat> as it used to be known, is is lurching to a place which is particularly dangerous. Uh, it's led by somebody who is engaging a lot in the political sphere. He's, um, he's you know, uh, somebody who I consider to be to be quite dangerous. And actually, uh, Twitter had come out only last week and flatly contradicted the statement of the minister, which I, I felt if they had come in, they could have actually <coughs> had a useful conversation in terms of uh, uh, of terms of that. But all this the media... Where the, this is where the... Yeah, yeah the, they suggested... The minister was said uh, not to have engaged with yeah, the Gardaí and they shot yeah, back yeah, and said but that... All that the social had. media countries... It's not, just, it's not just the content that's put up. It's the accounts that exist, that are allowed to continue to exist. So if somebody puts up a particular post on a particular day that's problematic and is taken down, that's not enough. And to my mind, it feels that social media companies are making so much money 
over the spreading of poison and hate and, and, and conspiracy theories uh, that it's not in their interest to do anything about it. Uh, and I know, and anybody who engages in politics and put up, puts up um, you know, the odd tweet or the odd post, the amount of vitriol that's out there is, is, is very bad, but it's actually getting worse. And it's, it's restricting the capacity of political parties to attract candidates to run an election. Uh, and particularly female candidates. And there's a big push now, and justifiably so, uh, because we brought in the gender quota legislation in terms of female candidates and we're prepared to do so when we're in government. But it's now the, almost the worst time possible to try and attract women into politics because of the social media platforms and what they're allowing people to say and the accounts that they're allowing to remain up. Uh, Michael Collins, the when people approach you uh, with concern, say, because the, the, the social media companies were in today and it was in connection with the riots and obviously the immigration uh, motion was put down earlier. But when people approach you with fears and concerns uh, and issues they're hearing about, say, immigration and the, what they're concerned about turns out to be false, are you concerned about the role social media plays in proliferating this information around and, and how maybe it puts pressure on politicians to voice concerns that are, in effect, baseless? Yeah, I, I would be very concerned, but I, I think, you know, politicians have, have to act maturely. So, I mean, when I go back to my constituency, my Scork, or anywhere I travel, there's different information given to me that I... You know, I know whether I should put it up on a social media feed or not. And I certainly, most of that I won't until I find that there's proof to what I'm saying. Just the recent riots in Dublin, there was misinformation. One TD put up a post about us. The ruling in the pins were the cause of, 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 of what he called his city uh, being in fire tonight. That's an outrageous, scandalous, and a, uh, a violation of our political rights. No, look. That person can answer for themselves. I certainly won't be answering for them. But it's, it, it'll tell you the misinformation that can be put out there. There's no need to point I, I suppose it, it, I wouldn't do that. Because it, I'd be too mature to do that. You, you've got, you've got, the, you've got the, the use of language that I suppose that has spread around during this debate. The, the uh, term military-aged, unvetted males is a particular term that, that comes up in communities around the country and has been expressed as a matter of concern when people are moving to uh, particular local areas. Now, military age is just another euphemism for working age or young, and yet military age just sounds more threatening. And, and on the issue of unvetted it's come up again and again, but how are people supposed to be unvetted if they're fleeing, say, Syria, one of the countries you say are, is a deserving cause? Are people supposed to pick up the phone to the Mahabharat, the secret police in Syria, and ask, is this guy OK? And what's the legitimate expectation of the kind of background checks that are being sought? Well, I suppose the way we look at it, uh, to rural communities and people that speak to me and their concerns is that if uh, 50, 60, let it be male, female, but in particular, they would be more worried about males coming in that are unvetted. They would be concerned. Sometimes their concerns are not legitimate at all. And if we had the information beforehand, we contact ministers. Ministers don't seem to be able to give us the information. In fairness, Minister O'Brien and uh, Minister Gorman have been uh, helpful uh, at times when they seem to know something. But it seems to be last minute people's coming into communities in the dark of night has frightened the living daylights out of people. And they may not need to be frightened. Sure. But they have and, concerns. And, and, when can, and legitimate concerns. And when, commu- when the very same. When but no, but I want to say one thing. Sure, no, I just want to ask you one specific question. You can go back and say it then. When constituents ask you about the issue of vetting, do you run them through the current asylum process and tell do. them about the preliminary yes. interview and the photographs and the fingerprints and the Eurodac and the second interview and the report on, issued on, on uh, international protection decision, the, uh, you know, the, the reporting that goes into the, the, 
the decision making that goes into permission to remain. I certainly do. And what I wanted to say a while ago is that if somebody came into this, into my neighbourhood and chose a new neighbour across the road, people would be asking me, who's coming in there? It might be 50 miles up the road, they just bought the house. It might be only just one or two people. And they'd say, well, you'd often hear people say, well, I hope there'd be, you know, nice neighbours. We'll get on with it. But then when, you, when there are 50 or 60 or 70 people coming in, certainly there's going to be raised concerns. And especially when there's no, in, the accommodation they're going to probably is only suitable to hold 15 it's or 16 or 17 people. Mark Mark Ocasek. Did I miss hear that? Oh, no, look, I mean, I've said my piece around, I've made clear what I I think of Michael's position on this. I mean, you could, if you applied the same thinking to a a new new built housing estate, there's an extension to an estate in Tremor that's happening, there's 40 or 50 houses being built there. Are we going around asking for vetting on the people who bought the houses because I was in the housing estate beforehand? We're not. So there's a difference in how we're using the language here. But I, I do want to return to the social media mm. issue and, and Aon has touched on it. I mean, that public discussion space, which br- Twitter briefly was, where you could actually engage in talk and discussion in this public sphere, that doesn't exist any longer in my mind. And the Twitter replies, take a look at Eamon Ryan's Twitter replies yeah. anytime you want. And every single one of his <coughs> tweets will be ratioed, as they call it. And there'll be hundreds of replies and most of them will be faceless, nameless people from God knows where. And this is then driving the discourse. And one of the sad things is those people who actually wanted to engage in debate previously on that platform, they're gone now because nobody will actually engage with your stuff anymore because they know that the next thing that's coming is. And it's absolutely the case that women are treated worse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I am... I, I often speak about my, my constituency colleague, Mary Butler, um, who's not, not of my parish. You know, there's, no, there's nothing, no interest in me talking up Mary Butler. She puts a post up, the treatment she gets right. versus the treatment I get is incredible in difference. It's apple, apples and oranges. Okay. Well, we're just, we're, we're going to go to our, our listeners' texts here uh, before we take a short break. Uh, Colm, if the best we can offer asylum seekers is a tent or a sleeping bag, then we've clearly reached our limits. As one another says, there is no homogenous culture. Uh, I hate Catholicism, love traditional music. I'm fond of the language, but not fond enough to learn it. I'm indifferent to the GAA. I have no idea what the Tidy Towns is about. I could go on. Somebody else says, I have nursing colleagues from India and the Philippines who are wondering if it's time maybe to go to Australia. They have been in Ireland for 10 years and more. Be careful what you wish there for, says Mary, who's a nurse in Dublin. And finally, I know several Irish people living off the state, never worked a day in their life. The more they get, the more they want. We should look at our own backyard first before the poor unfortunates fleeing for their lives, says Jerry in Wexford. Take a break. We're back after that. The Late Debate with Colm O'Mungan on RTE Radio 1.